Hello, it is Friday. That means bring it in with me, Gerard Hector. I am not joined by Coach David Thorpe. He is traveling. So I am joined by an OG True Hoop member. He is an ESPN writer. He is the co-host of the Pack Your Knives podcast with another OG True Hoop member in Tom Haberstraw. It is the wonderful Kevin Arnovitz. How are you, sir? I'm good. How are you? I am excellent. So I think we have to start here. The story of how Kevin and I met. So when you are an NBA uh, fan like I am, well, I mean, still an NBA fan, but now journalist, but you know, you've been reading True Hoop when it was on ESPN from all the way back in the day. You feel like you know all these people, Tom Averstrow, Zach Lowe, Kevin Arnovitz, David Thorpe, Amin Hassan. the list goes on, right? Because you listen to them on podcasts for years and years and years. So this is now, fast forward 2022, it is uh, before game two of the Memphis Grizzlies Minnesota Timberwolves series. And Arnovitz is sitting next to me, unbeknownst, I know he's Kevin Arnovitz, he doesn't know who I am. He gets a text from somebody on the opposite side of the scrum, and it says, who's standing next to you in that true hoop jacket? And he's like, I have no idea, I've never met this person. He turns around, sees my true hoop jacket, and says, hello. And I'm like, hello, Kevin Arnovitz, well, who are you? And that was the story of how we met. And then, you know, since then, texting, helping him out with swimming, you know. Oh, yeah. Now we're, now, now we're BFFs. <laughs> oh, the swimming has been huge. Like you're – all right, so there's no um, – Gerard is a – I mean, you're like a, you're like a real swimmer. You, you've <laughs> yeah. competed. Yes, you yes. have swam in a pool against other people <laughs> yes. who are aligned vertically <laughs> next to you, and you have to beat them. So I'm a recreational swimmer largely because it's like the last thing I can do after like – the back compression, so I had to give up running and like mm-hmm. tearing my labrum, so I had to give up weightlifting. But swimming, I can do. And you're, but you get bored. You get really bored because I would do my mile, like thirty six. No, it just gets really boring. And so, but I've also found that intervals make it less boring. Mm-hmm. And the good people who know things about human bodies say that you know if you do the intervals, you get a little more musculature, you get a little mm-hmm. like the, the lean muscle. Um, <laughs> and so you gave me equip me with this regimen, and I'm, I'm going to bore our basketball audience. <laughs> I won't get into the particulars, but but this particular routine, which keeps me in the pool actually a couple of minutes longer than my mile, mm. but is so much fun and the time goes and, and it, it's fun to compete with myself. Yep. And I, this has been a game changer. I've been at the <laughs> Memphis Croc Recreational Center every morning at 9.30 during the Memphis playoffs doing that routine. I got the old ladies next to me. I, it's great. It's fantastic. Um, well, and I want to thank you. Like seriously, you are making me a healthier, more sane, I'm on the road for seven weeks straight away from home playoff person. Well, I am happy to do that, sir. And anytime you want any more any more advice on that, happy to give it. Um, so you mentioned Memphis. So obviously that is the team you are following in the postseason. So we're going to stick there. I mean, to me, this playoff series has the most storylines, the most intriguing things going on out of all the current playoff series right now. And as someone who, I mean, you're a writer, we write, we cover series. To you, without giving away something you might be working on, what is the most compelling story you're finding so far emerging from this Memphis State, Memphis Golden State playoff series? Yeah, I, I mean, I think Occam's Razor here. It's it's John Morant, and it's such a fun juxtaposition with Steph because, and I don't want to fall back on, hey, it's 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 the old to the new, and here's his heir apparent. Um, they're obviously entirely different basketball players with different strengths. But Morant is controlling the series in a way that stars control series. I mean, he is he is commandeering every possession. I mean, he's not an orchestrator the way, say, Chris Paul is. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but his desire to get downhill informs the behavior of nine other players on the floor. Um, and it, it, it's something to behold. He also has just away from sort of the X's nose, there's a stage presence there that mm-hmm. I haven't seen. I mean, Derek Rose might be the best analog and I'm not original there. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously other people have made that comp, but I, I just think that just keeping your eyes on him, um, it's just mesmerizing. I, you know, I thought the the best story of this series would be sort of as we're reassembling the the, the dynastic warriors. Sort of, they're they're finding themselves again, and and that 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 four person troop of Thompson, Curry, Green, and Wiggins played a total of nine seconds together in the regular season. So we would watch this team sort of get to know each other, even though we've known them for years. Mm-hmm. This particular incarnation, and I thought that would be interesting, and it, it's not uninteresting. But to me, this is a showcase of John ja Morant and the pressure he puts on a defense and the way he sort of ignites an attack. Yeah, no, I'm with you there. And it's interesting to watch it in this series, juxtaposing it with the last series against Minnesota, right? The way that the Warriors have defenders and, and perimeter players versus what Golden State has, Ja can get to the rim in this series in a way he wasn't getting to the rim in the last series versus the Timberwolves, right? Um, and it, and it's it's amazing to watch. Um, and you mentioned the Derek Rose comp. Coach Thorpe mentioned uh, Allen Iverson with a three. Right. Um, and, you know, to me, Coach Thorpe also talks about the new unicorns. Everybody knows about seven-footers who can do everything outside and inside, which, of course, if you have your choice, you always take massive tall people who can do everything because the yes. rim is still 10 feet above the ground. However, the new unicorn is the super speedy dudes who can get to the rim, but who can also stretch you from distance. Because now it's like, well, if I back off, they'll beat me. Three is greater than two. If I get too close, they're going to blow right by me. Is that what you're saying with John Moran? Yeah, and this is, I mean, the first time I ever kind of heard this philosophical conversation was with David Thorpe. And it was about, and you'll have to excuse the comp because it is very different. It was about Rajan Rondo. Um, Morant is not an excellent outside shooter. He's, right. he's hit quite a number of threes when, when left unattended in this series. But I, I think he, you would characterize him as being one of those guys, who, well, if he can beat you from distance, you kind of just tip your hat and you go, you know. <laughs> and, you know, that was always the strategy with, with Rondo. Um, obviously, he had very little outside shot. And, you know, Thorpe made the case at the time that when you just play off a guy because you can per- you perceive correctly that he's not much of a threat from the outside, and so, okay, we're just going to give him space. You aren't necessarily helping yourself because he will gobble up that space, use it as a runway, mm-hmm. and then you're, you're going to be flat-footed. So watching, the interesting thing is, that, you know, talking to the Warriors um, and, and their staff, you know, it, they, they've kind of resorted to a build-a-wall sort of philosophy. They want to extend Morant as, as best as possible. But I think what we're finding is, 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 as Thorpe noted 10 years ago, that when you give a guy like Morant runway, I mean, never mind that he's hit a couple of threes and, you know, you need to close out on him. I mean, I guess you could still make that gamble and it might not be the wrong one. But even barring that, that playing off him, building the wall at the nail when he's kind of revving, you know, it's like the Flintstone car where like the feet go, and like, like, <laughs> yep. like it's, that hasn't been terribly, as you point, effective. And it's just this, again, it's counterintuitive. Oh, you yeah. play off the guy who can't shoot because he goes to, uh-uh. Like, like Morant <laughs> will figure out, he yeah. will he will find the seam, even as you sort of build that wall. I mean, it will spring leaks. Yeah. You know, so we here at True Hoop, particularly Thorpe and I, we are Memphis Grizzlies lovers, uh, mm-hmm. especially 
Jaron Jackson Jr., who Thorpe and I both predicted would be an extremely good player. Um, when you watch John Morant, does he scare you from a long-term health viability? And I don't yes. want to concern troll here, like you know, but it's just like, dude, the ground doesn't give when you fall on it, and you're constantly falling. It scares the hell out of you. And and like when I, I'm very blessed because there are only three arenas in the league left where you get to sit courtside as a member of the press. Memphis is one of them, not coincidentally, are the three smallest markets. And like you hear the thuds. I, I am terrified on behalf of Morant, the people who love him, mm-hmm. um, the organization that's vested in him, his teammates, teammates who, 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 who enjoy playing with him and, and thrive playing with him. It is a level of contortion and, and aerial acrobatics that there's no math there, as you say. Like, like it, it, it is scary. And I just think that it's inevitable that a couple times a year yeah, um, when you throw yourself airborne. And I don't know what you tell a guy to do. I mean, that right. is what it's he a superpower. Is. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, and, you know, exactly. So, and if you, you tell him, hey, be more deliberate about your body yeah. control, like yeah. you're not going to get the full job right experience. Yeah, I, I think, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, he's also young, right? And, you know, Kevin, like when we're young, we're so much more reckless. And because we think that, oh, you know, I'm, I can do whatever, right? I, I think maybe as he gets smarter, his game evolves a little bit. He, you know, chooses when he's going to do the whole full aerial thing, pulls up and develops more of that mid-range, uh, does the floater a little bit more. But, yeah, no, it's going in there with the Giants and hitting the ground is tough. Um Again, staying in that series, the Warriors, you're talking to coaches and the various people there. How are they feeling about this series? I feel like they left Memphis tied 1-1 and they feel like, man, we could have been up 2-0. And they don't seem really too concerned about, you know, potentially going down in this series. No, and I think this is why. Game two was the Warriors' worst three-point shooting night of their entire postseason history in this current incarnation. I actually think probably beyond that. I haven't looked beyond 15. But but in this generation, this, this since the Steph, uh, Clay, Splash Brothers, Draymond, core, the worst. And, and when I looked at was, well, were they more contested, those threes? No. About <laughs> average. You know, not more or less. Uh, so I think you're just one of those, we'll take those shots any night kind of mindset. When you say we basically what seventeen percent whatever it was, mm-hmm. and we lost by six, um, so I I think that is sort of thing, and also I just think it's them, yeah, like they've been to the circus, mm-hmm. like they know what they're doing here, and that doesn't mean they'll win. I mean, I think right. Memphis, um, you know, I was talking to a reporter and from Memphis who was just kind of despondent, not because he's a he's a homer, just like like what. He looked at the experts on ESPN. Not one person had the Grizzlies. And it's like, this is the two seed. They won yeah. 56 games. Like, <laughs> like, why are we just kind of marrying off this series? It's like, I think that that's an interesting question. Um, I'm still kind of on Team Warriors, if you ask me to choose. I'm not much of a in the prediction business. I just, I tend to be one of these people, and this is an unscientific theory, that like the old guys win in the playoffs. Yeah. Like, especially against new young guys, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. this will be a wonderful first chapter. And, and it's even funny, like the Grizzlies lost by one in game one in that final, that missed layup. Um, and there was like this rousing cheer from the crowd after the buzzer that the kind of cheer you got in Minnesota after game six, which mm. is like, wow, good job. Good effort, guys. You know, like, we're just happy. and I was sort of like, like they weren't groaning. They weren't like. Right. You had the game, you blew. No, it was just this sort of, and even kind of talking to kind of grizzly neurotics 
in yeah. Memphis. It's just sort of like there is a sense of house money. Now, I don't think for a second John Morant feels that way right. or Taylor Jenkins feels that way or Desmond Bain feels that way. But um, I do think that sort of speaks to the gravitas of the Warriors combined with the relative youth um, of the Grizzlies combined with this freakish bad shooting night by Golden State. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting that you say that about about the Warriors and being to the circus. And that's what I said, right? Like, they're just so experienced. There is nothing that they have not seen in any playoffs. I think it's going to make them nervous. Conversely, you know, we talk about the playoffs. And oftentimes, and this is something Thorpe and I always rail against with Henry as well. In the playoffs, you got to shorten your rotations. You do this, you do that. And it's all these things. And we're like, but why are we changing what we're doing all regular season long now? Because it's the playoffs. Now, I get it, right? Like, because these games, in theory, matter more, right? You lose two in a row. Well, now you're 0-2. You're going home probably. All those kinds of things. But Taylor Jenkins, to me, seems like someone who is doing exactly what he did all regular season long. Oh, we're going 10 deep because that's what we do. We're not cutting anything. We're not shortening benches. And it seems to be helping them because they're used to having different guys in and out of the lineup. And their level doesn't seem to drop off. Is that what you see? Yeah, absolutely. And that that sort of conforms to the Mike Bootenholzer tree um, where, you know, this 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 gospel, as you say, that, that, you know, eight man rotation, hell, D'Antoni used to go seven yeah. back in, back in the seven, uh, seven seconds or less days. Uh, no, I, I think they find value. Now, one thing we, we, we have to put an asterisk eye is, you know, they lost Brooks early, obviously mm-hmm. in game two, which called on more Zaire Williams. They like his length, um, you know, against the, against the Warriors guards. Um, they, you know, Adams is not, well, now he's in protocol, mm-hmm. but even then, there were some curveballs thrown to them that I think required the Grizzlies to sort of break the glass in case of emergency. I mean, Xavier Tillman is starting mm-hmm. in this series, right? Um, X had trouble getting on the court at, at certain times during the regular season, but he's particularly useful. And I think Jenkins is a coach who will study his personnel for specific advantages. And, hey, nine minutes of that is is useful. And, 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 and that's why you'll see – Contra at the beginning of the second quarter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, rotationally, he wants Morant out. Um, you know, there, there's not as much stretch or whatever. And I and I think that's that's something that he will not be afraid to do. Uh, that said, they're just also again, Brooks is going to be out in Game Three. Mm-hmm. Um, that's going to be a really interesting decision. You know, Melton had a nice game, but I, I don't think he has the size uh, that they, they they necessarily they want on Curry. I, I suspect Zaire Williams will get some more burn. Um, and when he shoots well, he's an incredibly useful, lanky, long yep. player. And, you know, we talk about playing time being oxygen for these guys. And, and Jenkins said it, I think, in between the last game that, look, playing time is that's how we develop, guys. You're not going to learn sitting on the bench. Right. So this is in the fire against this particular Warriors team. Hey, you might sit, you might sink a couple of times, but I think this is all valuable experience. Right. So that when they're back in this scenario again, there are more reference points in, in the mind for these guys. Uh, on the Warriors, you know, the, the bad shooting, and, you know, it's how much of that do you chalk up to? Is Memphis doing anything? The variance of the of the three-pointer? And if it is variance of the three-pointer, you know, if they have another couple of bad games, you know, is, is that a thing where it's like, ooh, we can, we can steal another game? Um, I, I do don't think that Memphis is doing anything very specific. Um, you know, they're a good defensive team. I don't, I don't think there is undue pressure on their shooters. I, I think, you know, their closeouts have traditionally been um, 
you know, they moved their defensive shifts a little bit to give up a little more from three, mm-hmm. I- ironically. Um, that, that's sort of been their strategy over the course of the season when they started out defensively poor. Um, you know, I think part of it is, is Thompson, you know, had his first season shooting under 40% in mm-hmm. his entire career. So, you know, you knock off of two points there. I mean, Steph has been a little below. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you could chalk it up to just, you know, deterioration of, of that team by a few percentage points. But I honestly, I, I do... I, I am one of these people where we can sit here and probably find some good sets where um, that were, were blown up by good closeouts or, or running guys off the line or, or whatever it was. I honestly just believe being their courtside, they miss shots they normally make. Yeah. Um, and by the way, have they made even a fraction? Had they not been a crappy 17, 18%, but merely a miserable 26%, <laughs> they, win like, the they win that game. They win that game. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, like, and we would be saying, wow, they shot 26% from three and they won. Oh, <laughs> the Grizzlies are in trouble. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. like I, I am one of these people who believes that randomness does dictate a lot of this. And, and I, I'm not certainly not going to say that the Grizzlies didn't have a good defensive effort, but I just think this was a historically bad night by historically great shooters. Yeah, um, it's interesting that you say that randomness and different variables that can impact the game. So I looked at the line for game three, and it's already Warriors at minus seven and a half, something like that. Uh, Yeah, and so that ties me into something I'm thinking about right now. The Draymond, flagrant two, Dylan Brooks being out. Look, you and I know the NBA is extremely conscious about its image and its public facing and what happens. Do you feel like game three the refs are going to be super tight with the whistle to kind of curb any of this physicality, particularly with the the way the Warriors move off ball. That could be a huge advantage if the Grizzlies are in the bonus, or they're in the bonus, excuse me, early in quarters, that this game kind of runs away from Memphis in game three. Yeah, I mean, I I do think they'll they'll allow the guys to be a little handsy. Again, I I just don't think you can chase around the Warriors without having a certain leniency to to handsiness. I mean, it just, it's tough. Um, You know, the, 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 the... but I think, I mean, they're going to have to be conscious. We have two flagrant twos. We had two ejections in two games by two key players. Um, you know, I, I do think those were, I don't want to say they're, it'd be ridiculous to say they're isolated because there was more than one of them. Right. But I, I don't know that, it hasn't been brutal. Like, I don't think, like, those were two incidents. I don't feel like I'm watching Nick's Heat circa 1999 mm-hmm. here. Um, part of that is, is the Warriors are playing, you know, sort of wall ball at the nail. So it's like they're not kind of up in Ja mm-hmm. all that much. Um, the fact is they switch. And I think anytime you have a switching scheme, you tend to have just by definition a little less physicality yep. um, because you're passing guys off. So it's like, you know, this isn't Drew Holiday like fighting over a screen. Mm-hmm. This is Dozy Doe, your partner. Um, so I, I don't <laughs> think it's been like, an, it's funny. It's We've had these two incidents. I don't right. feel like it's been an overly physical series. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think, look, because if you watched everything, including the uh, the elbow that Draymond got inadvertently from X, that was just, yeah. his face is in the wrong spot. Like, it just, it happens, right? And yeah, there's you a lot know, of incidental contact in this series, yeah, basically. Yeah, things just happen. It, it's But it, it is interesting uh, to watch. On the Memphis side, you know, I, I was looking at the stats from the first playoff series. I think it was, like, of a possible, like, I don't know, 300 or whatever minutes, Jaron Jackson Jr. has been on the floor, like, 80 of them. <laughs> And when he's on the floor, they are so much better. Yes. <laughs> and, and you know, look, I big Jaron Jackson Jr. fan here, as everyone knows. Coach Thorpe's a huge fan as well. I mean, he, to us, is like a, a – that's the game-changing guy. He's like your all-defensive player and is your second option on offense when he's right, like he was in game one that they lost. What are the Grizzlies saying about Jaron and his foul troubles uh, this postseason? I mean, you know, the, you know, you were in Memphis. They don't say no. – they don't say shit. 
I mean, it, it, this is truly a descendant of the Spurs tree. Taylor James. I mean, it is. Bless his heart. He's about as useless as Mike Gutenholzer in any sort of public setting. Um, you know, the only good thing he gave us when is uh, a reporter, uh, our, our friend Anthony Slater, sort of asked him about uh, what he perceived was job blowing an assignment um, that gave Gary Payton a backdoor in game one. Taylor got really kind of. He's like, well, that wasn't his man, so you were entirely incorrect. Like that's as, that's as much that's as much as you'll get from Taylor. I, I mean, look, I, I I think, I mean, defend without fouling is 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 one of the the paramount principles in in sort of high level basketball. He hasn't done it. Um, I mean, they aren't ridiculous fouls. This isn't oh ninety four feet away from the basket, right? Kind of when you're in the bonus. Um, he is asked to be a roving help defender, and I think by definition, sort of weak side help against a, you know, a penetrator can just lend itself to fouling. Um, it's an immovable force against a, well, what is it? It's the immovable <laughs> object <laughs> against the insurmountable force. I, Irresistible I force against an insurmountable. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Um, but, uh, I mean, offensively, it's also interesting. They do not post guys up. It's sort of a, no. it's not what they do. However, it was been so interesting giving Jaron post touches, like sets that have, I mean, I, it's funny. I looked at like, you know, I did one of those second spectrum. Hey, all the post-ups mm-hmm. that Jackson, like, they, they were like none in six games against Minnesota. All of a sudden, they come out right out of the box. Like, mm-hmm. you know what? Because um, that was sort of the thing is I'm not as high on Jackson as you guys are. I'm certainly high defensively, provided he can stay on the floor. I just, you know, I'm just, I don't think he's a good screen setter. I don't think he's a guy you can play pick and roll with. I think he's a third. I don't think he is a low 30s three-point shooter since he came back from the injury. Um I don't think he's a great passer. Like, I just, I find him too often to be a cipher offensively, to be mm. of much use for me. I'm just not a fan of the player in that respect. And that's great. Look, if you want to, and the Warriors were clearly happy to have him shooting from distance. Um, yeah, they need to close a little better, but it's very clear they're they're not all that concerned. And why should they be? So, but, it, but one of the things when I was talking to a member of the Memphis staff in the Minnesota series, I'm like, because I kind of was just, I wanted to see what the reaction is. I'm like, tell me what he does well offensively can someone can someone anywhere tell me what jaron jackson does well he's not a good shooter he does not set screens he does not roll hard he does not pass from the elbow like can someone tell me other than he's and also he's a shitty rebounder so like he is right so like i'm sorry like i mean the emperor has no clothes here offensively (laughs) limited clothes (laughs) and 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 so you know the the person i is like look he's a better post player than he often is allowed to be I said, that's interesting. And sure enough, what do we get starting in game one of this series? We get, you know, some really, and by the way, super efficient in the post. Like, he's got some stuff. Like, but we live in a world where the big guy raising his big hand in the air, passing the ball, entry pass, go to work, just isn't a part of the curriculum. Yeah. But, um, and by the way, I, I, I come to... I come not to bury Jackson. I come to praise him. I hope he becomes a 37% shooter again, but I'm just, I'm sort of over this guy's offensive game. And like, it, it just, maybe if they can get him as a five, I don't care as much. And you get like kind of a, you know, a little bit more of a creator at the four, Yeah. but like, you know, and when Anderson's on the floor, although they don't really, I don't think they play well together um, statistically, but they, I'm just, I'm not a fan of the offensive game at all. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's challenging, right? I think that what, what we see are the sort of the glimpses that you're like, oh, like you said, like you mentioned in the post, when he gets the ball and does a quick moving, it's like, wow, this is exciting. But 
we don't see the consistency out of it, right? And I do think that Gary shot 37 or 38% from three. I was like, I, I do think he is that shooter. Um, what, do we think, you know better than I, you're better at this. Would a knee injury impact that? I mean, because it's since the injury, it's really come down, right? He was yeah. on his way to kind of sniffing 40. That was mm-hmm. the trajectory. And now mm-hmm. he's in the low 30s. And I just wonder, again, and I'm not enough, I don't know. I mean, question for Thorpe, maybe you. I, I just, maybe is the knee injury kind of part of that? I think so. I think it is finding, and I think also part 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 of it too is his evolution within that organization, right? Like he was the pick ahead of Morant, right? And the offense kind of ran a little bit differently. Now Morant's here and is the lead guy, and it's not that it's a power struggle. Like it's not about whose team it is. It's just that again, how are we using him effectively and using this amazing MVP candidate we have in job effectively, right? And I think that's the next evolution for Jenkins and the both of them to figure out. You got two guys who I believe have all NBA talent. We got to figure out how to make this work somehow. This has got to work. Yeah, and but I mean, as you point out, um, if if your best player is Jean Morant, getting the big six ten guy off of the block is going to create more space for the little guy who's driving with mm-hmm. impunity. And, and I think that's that that's sort of a challenge. And they're never going to be a post up team, nor should they. No, no. Um, but it, it happens to be inconveniently Jackson's best offensive skill. Yeah, and, and so I think it's going to be. Him doing a lot more of working on the catch and three, catch and shoot threes, um, which, you know, look, being a stretch four or five is great. And I do think, you know, you mentioned Adams being out and I do believe he has cleared health and safety protocols. So he might be available for Saturday. Um, how will that change the game for them? Because look, right, they were the best offensive rebounding team in the league and they've not been that in the postseason. Yeah, you know, it's funny. They miss Adams. And, and I know it was very easy in the Minnesota series to say, yeah, what do we need that big lug for, <laughs> right? And then you realize, A, like what he does for Morant in a half screen court. setting for sure. I mean, it is it is huge. Uh, and to say nothing of like the like the six eight points he picks up a night, just like crashing Morant's layup attempts that are gonna uh, some of them are invariably not gonna um, you know get to the bottom of the net and and just clean that stuff up. Uh, he's gonna have so much trouble in this series, though. I mean, yeah. I, I mean the Warriors just in, don't accommodate big. I mean, you could maybe get him some loony minutes. The loony minutes, the only thing um, I see. Yeah. You know, what's funny is I always thought that, like, it was talking Minnesota, if they could get him back on the floor. I was like, I kind of like him. Imagine, like, a little Morant Adams time at the beginning of the second quarter against bench units. And just mm. kind of do, hey, it's J.J. Barea and Brandon Bass. You know, like, like, <laughs> like these guys are going to run, like, 12 straight pick and rolls. They're going to score 16 points. And, like, everyone's going to go, you know, and then yeah. the, the starters will come back in, like— like, I just feel like maybe there's like a little Ja Steven time, but he's going to have so much trouble in this series standing on the yeah. floor against that small team. Yeah, when, when they when they go to that small lineup, it's going to be very tough. Yeah. But, you know, the Peyton, the second injury, right? He's out for at least a month. So, I mean, he might not be back for the, the entirety of the playoffs, depending on how far the Warriors go. That's going to affect them defensively. because Obviously, he is their best on-ball Ja, quote-unquote, stopper. Um Jordan Poole, you know, bless his heart on offense, but <laughs> I mean, not he's not there yet, right? But barbecue chicken, as as uh, Chuck or Shaq would say on on TNT. Do you think Kerr goes more loony, or is he like Nad, or he, he he goes all the way in? We're going small. Screw it, they can't they can't stop us if we go small. I I mean, I've got to believe that that the small that that is still their DNA and it's still where they thrive. Um. I mean, they're going to have some challenges defensively. But you know what? I mean, I think they're reasonably happy with Wiggins on Morant. I mean, it's not perfect, but mm-hmm. it kind of works. Yeah. Um, you know, it. I, I think Thompson can take some reps. Um, you know, they'll, they'll figure out. I mean, for that matter, 
I mean, there. I think there's enough length on that roster. I mean, Poole is does not give them, you know, along with Steph. It, it, those are two non-candidates there. Mm-hmm. Um, and although it's so interesting, I mean, you know, when you switch like they do, you know, we sit here and we talk about these matchups. Who's got who? And then you just, you know, and you have to yeah. remind yourself, like they're switching. You know, <laughs> but 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 I think I think they're okay with Wiggins. Um, he's got great length. He's I mean, he's improved exponentially i think as a defender um he he doesn't have blood dripping from his mouth the way i, I think like he I, i'd like a defender to have <laughs> but he's i mean but he's he's doing okay and you know wiggins god the, the physical profile suggests that that's who yes. he should be and that's what we've been it's like you know you talk about uh, i'm done with jaron jackson jr i'm all the way out on andrew wiggins i'm like really? what year is this eight nine, i don't even know it's just like i'm done <laughs> well no and that and that's you know the warriors sort of um you know the Warriors have, have, have tried to cultivate this, and and they're reasonably happy. I think the one thing they feel like is missing is, could this guy ever wake up one morning and say like, my goal on this planet for the next twenty four hours is to make John Morant miserable, like like, and it's a mindset that you want from an elite defender mm-hmm. with that kind of physical profile is, mm-hmm. hey, everything else will come. Like like that guy is on the dartboard in your rec room like for the next twenty four hours, mm-hmm. and and I think. Um, the way that all world defenders just like as a personal initiative. I mean, say we want about Brooks, but like, you know, that was his mm-hmm. thing. And mm-hmm. and um, he, he just like he wakes up wanting to be an irritant for the next 24 hours against whoever the assignment is. And Wiggins just isn't he's just not built yeah. that way. If Wiggins had Brooks's mindset, he'd be the best defender in the league. Yes. <laughs> right. I mean, that's that's exactly who he'd be. So the, the Warriors ethos, right, is this egalitarian, we move the ball, everybody touches it, right? That That is who they are uh, as a team, oftentimes to the chagrin of Warriors fans who wish that Curry would just run pick and rolls with Steph and just kill people, right, and, and get the desirable matchup. But that is not how Steph plays, or excuse me, how Steve Kerr wants to play. You know, covering the Grizzlies now for two, going on two months, what's the ethos of this team? How do you, what, what do you feel their spirit and their whole vibe is? I mean, I think their vibe is there's a reverence for Morant and what he does in the way that you you see with Curry. Um, I think they believe that defensively they're really good and they're almost defensive about it a little bit, no pun intended. I mean, they have the number six defense in the league. They they play the gaps. They, you know, they turn you over. Um, They are physical. And that that is sort of part of it. Offensively, I think that they're really proud of the non-Morant success. Um, I think they are not getting the sort of perimeter actions in this series for Bain, largely because he's not healthy. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's a very big part of who they are. Um, Look, they're always going to be a Morant pick-and-roll operation. Um, and, and really it, it's not as complicated as, as I think people will think. I think there's also this notion though we want as much ball, as much shot creation as we can. And it's why you see Kyle Anderson get minutes. Mm-hmm. It's not because he's a great scorer and he certainly can't shoot, right. but I think it's why you've seen Bain empowered. Mm-hmm. Um, like when people, oh, you know, you know, there was a, Hey, he's more than just a outside oh, yeah. perimeter threat, right? Like this is a guy who is a secondary creator, um, you know, Brooks isn't, is, is given a little bit of a leash to do his bully ball. Um, I'm not as big a fan of, of Brooks's offensive game. Um, you know, but I, I think that's sort of, um, what they're about, but it's, it's a Morant driven thing and, and they don't have, again, it's not that it's not egalitarian, but like, why should it be? Yeah, yeah, no, you're right. Um, it, it is, you know, the way I looked at this series was 
I thought, I think I picked Warriors in six, and I'm not really moving off of that. But what I wanted to see from Memphis was competitive fight against this team with all that championship expertise. And I don't see any folding from them, right? So even though they might lose this series, I think this is what Thorpe says is good reference points for them. Next season, they come back and like, okay, we, we know what it takes now. Yeah, I, I think I, I think check <laughs> like competitive spirit is there. I think it's fair to say they um, they have it uh, both games. I, I'm probably with you. I think it'll probably be chalk the rest of the way. We'll see. Um, I think Memphis is certainly capable of winning a game in San Francisco where I'm at right now. But uh, and again, I just can't imagine a combined shooting effort like the one we saw in game two. It just doesn't happen. Um, yeah. it, if it did happen, it would be the rarest of probabilities. You know, before we leave this series, the clay of it all is interesting to me, Kevin, because everybody's like, you know, clay has a 30 point game and it's like, ah, clay's back. And I'm like, are we sure about that, guys? Like, I mean, I just don't see an highly, obviously, and why would I, why would I see it? He had two major uh, injuries, right? An Achilles and an ACL. He's just not all the way there. I mean, on both ends of the floor, offensively and defensively, you know, is this something that uh, the Grizzlies can take advantage of and, you know, are the best days of Clay Thompson behind him? Yeah, I mean, I was, I was really watching him closely the other night. And, you know, it's funny. It, it, it's, it, it, I wouldn't call it bounce. It's an efficiency of movement. It's, there, it's like he's a guy for a size who, when he's healthy, moves with this alacrity in the half court. It's amazing. Like efficiency of movement. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like, like point to point, breezing around the perimeter it's not as you know it's a it, it's a, it looks a, it's a new car versus one with about sixty five thousand miles on it right like it, it still gets where it's going um it, it's still lovely i just don't think there's an efficiency of movement that used to be there and by the way he's still better than than any you know outside of kyle korber and you know whatever else um you know defensively like i i think I, I would probably agree with you too. I, I, mean, I want to study it a little more, and actually, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm thrilled that you said this. Now, this gives me something to watch for <laughs> uh, in game in, in game three. Um, you know, it's always hard to tell because so much of what they do in their scheme is sort of predicated on timing and switching, and so I never get to see. You know, I feel like I, I don't get a I don't get as good a look at the individual efforts as mm-hmm. much as I get the team efforts, with the exception of Draymond, because right. ultimately he will. You know. Uh, when when the approach comes to the basket, he's going to be that that sort of defender on the block. But I don't, I never get a feel. I'm always watching it as a team concept. I'm not, now I'm you've given me something to look for. See, that's that's what we're here for, man. We're here to help you help people out. Uh, let's stay in the Western Conference and move into the Phoenix Suns um, Dallas Mavericks series. And you know, you mentioned something about Wiggins, and you know what you like to see out of defenders is that blood dripping from the mouth. And there is something predatory about the playoffs. And we wrote about this on, in, during True on Truth last year. It's this way in which teams and individual players hunt specific mismatches again and again and again, literally like an apex predator going after their prey until the team, the team that is prey decides we can't leave that person isolated anymore. That was Chris Paul in the fourth quarter of game two earlier this week. And it was a masterclass. Like it just, no, no, Luca every time. And once they realize we can't do it, let's trap early. Paul knew that was coming. You get the ball out, right? And you do, and you do your four on three. Is, I mean, the way he orchestrates a game, I don't, I mean, besides LeBron, and I think he may even be better. He's just not as physically gifted at orchestrating a game. Is there anybody better at orchestrating a game than Chris Paul? No. And I mean, it's his greatest attribute. And I got to watch it very closely in Los Angeles for several years. It is, 
um, you know, it's funny. Uh, remember someone had saying that, you know, they always play a slow half court game with Chris. And is that, a, is that adaptable to the current era? And I said, it's actually beautifully adaptable, right? Like that um, half court basketball still comes at a premium and your ability to control possessions. And that's what he does, right? Like you can't out scheme that. You can say, well, we're just not going to let, you know, we got to get our defense set and that's why we got to be efficient offensively on the other end. So they take it out of the basket. But at the end of the day, he's um, nobody is better at exploiting weaknesses with patience. I mean, that's the thing too, is he's willing to wait it out because he knows that even there's a thing. And I was watching this Memphis, Minnesota series. It was, they're so young and you could see the jitters when the shot clock hit about seven or six. It's like, ah, shit. All right. All right. (laughs) And like, and when you watch a Chris Paul game, it's like, like that's what he loves the most. He knows that there's such a, there's such a slim chance that a defense can really sustain itself through multiple actions over 24 seconds that he is willing to like, just wait it out, wait it out, wait it out, and then, you know, he will find that. Um, what's ironic about the, the Luca thing is I remember the, the Dallas Clippers series where they were ordering the Dallas, where Luca was ordering Lou Williams off a menu mm-hmm. for, for, for three <laughs> straight games and just how, uh, just how aggravating it was because, you know, here you have Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. You bring these guys in for that explicit mm-hmm. reason. Um, it's going to be the best tandem wing defenders in, in the league. And then all of a sudden it's like your biggest possessions are being guarded by Lou Williams. Um, but yeah, he invites the trap. He loves the trap. And then it's for, exactly, as you said, it, it's nobody is better. I think at doing that. Why don't you, why do you think teams don't, especially late in the fourth, like all game, I know it's hard to take the toll on your body. Why don't teams force stop the switch? Like, no, we're not, we're not going to make, we're not going to switch. We're going to force our way I over the top of that screen. I have no idea, and I always ask this question. I don't understand. And, and again, there, there, there is probably, hey, we want to, what I hear is just the old, well, we need to make sure there's a body in front of everybody, right? And that's why you switch. And I, I just, I do not, it drives me <laughs> batty. Um, and, and I just don't get it. I, yeah. I don't get it. Like, what is, like, what is the downside? What? That like, like the, I mean, look, the downside is, is Chris Paul gets just enough space to launch a three-pointer and he's particularly good and, right. and you know, you get beat. And, and I guess that's the answer. And you, you watch a guy buy that space and he needs so little of it enough times, you just say, yeah, let's just keep a body in front of him. I guess that's the answer. I just Why you would let the other team choose your defender. Yes. <laughs> and this is, you know, and, and for all the crap, and I, I mentioned him earlier that Bootenholzer got, you know, for not switching mm-hmm. um, a couple postseasons ago. You know, I, I always thought that, look, I, I kind of respect the intransigence there. Like, I just think that when you have defenders who can fight over whether it was Bledsoe then or Holiday now, like, why would you forfeit that defender at the point of attack? Like, why would you do that? Mm-hmm. You work on these schemes, and, and it drives me insane. Like, here's the thing, and more abstractly, I hate mismatch basketball. <laughs> I detest it. Like, I just, like, ugh, I just think it is. This is why I'm going to say, I'm going to wrap myself. This is why I love the Warriors. <laughs> They've got no time for that crap. Yeah, like, it's yeah. not why we got into this business. <laughs> like, and it's why I hated the Rockets. And I will always root for the less Mitch Mashy team. Mitch Mashy oh, team. It's like, I can't. St- Look, I understand Lou Williams. Okay. If, if a team basically 
send you an engraved invitation for it. <laughs> right. Go I understand. <laughs> but like, I just, I, I hate mismatched basketball. And you know what I hate more? Teams that allow it defensively to occur. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, no. that's my rant of the day. No, no, I, I I hear you there. And again, we talked about the Warriors fans, and you know, I'll be on Warriors Twitter sometimes. And shout out to our good buddy Samus Findiari and you know, people. Who oh, will, I love those guys. <laughs> we'll talk about it. It's like Kerr, we get it. We love the free-flowing offense. But you see how Chris Paul attacked Luca every time? Do that to John Morant every once in a while. Just get him in isolation. We know he's not good. It's just Kerr's like you. It's against his whole – I don't like it. I love – this is why I love Steve Kerr. Like, like I just – I. It's and again, I'm an idealist. I, I really am. And I, I appreciate that I would be a terrible NBA basketball coach. But I just like – like, what are we doing here? Like, yeah, like yeah. why don't we just go to the to – the, like, let's go to the playground. I mean, I, I just like – I don't want to see a series of one-on-one contests. I want to see – something a little more elegant you're the best basketball players in minds of in the world like figure it out mismatch basketball um (laughs) i love it i love it um on on the dallas side like look it's clear that they're realizing that oh this isn't the utah jazz defenders on the perimeter that we're playing this is the phoenix suns uh jalen brunson is dealing with length and you know shout out to to thorpe hardest thing to do in the nba score over length and jalen brunson all of five foot, whatever he is, 10, um, is, is really seeing, wow, this is, this is different. And Phoenix is just this machine and they execute. And I think that first round series against New Orleans kind of sharpened them up a bit because they, they won 64 games. And they were coasting the last month of the season. They haven't played any meaningful basketball for over a month until the Pelicans punched them in the mouth. And they were like, oh, guess we should wake up and play basketball now. And I think that again, I, I see chalk happening here. Maybe Dallas gets a game in, in, uh, in Dallas, but I like Phoenix in this. You series. like the the gentleman's sweep? Yeah, I just I, I don't like Spencer Dinwiddie. Can I count on Davis Bertans consistently hitting threes? Uh. Yeah, and my my thing is is again, I, when you play a defense like Phoenix's, is there enough shot creation on the floor for Dallas outside of Luca? And, and that's sort of my question. Again, as you said, hey Utah, we're just going to stretch you out. Mm-hmm. You know, and you're just going to, you know, we're to pull the tarp out and just mm-hmm. extend the game and you're going to have to run it guys with guys who can't run it guys. Right. I think Dallas, that, that was always my issue with the, the composition of this roster at this moment um, is do you have enough sort of shot creation on the wing? Again, yeah. we love Brunson. That's great. But there are limited options outside of Luca, and and he can't. You know, they're not going to, like, he loves playing against the trap. They're not going to do a lot of that. Mm-hmm. They're they're a good stay at home. They've got a lot of discipline defensively. Mm-hmm. Um, they just, you, you watch them. In the, I haven't seen a ton of this series as a disclaimer, um, but they have to work for their shots. Like, yeah. and you see the amount of work. And, and if not for Luca's brilliance, boy, it would be ugly. Um, I mean... They, Lucas scores 48, that's fine, but none of these other guys are doing anything, right? It's that old adage of, fine, you do you, but yeah. the rest of these guys won't get anything off. And that, that whole point about shot creation on perimeter, that matters. You know, after round one, people were talking about, wow, the Jalen Brunson bag is going to be so big this offseason. Well, after round two, is, you already start, is that number starting to go down? I think you realize, again, as I said earlier, the rim is still 10 feet above the ground. Like, if you have your druthers, like, I want big people who can do those things, not small people. It just makes it, unless you have a team around them that's got... Like the like the Suns, who have a ton of size on on the wing, right? I mean, you could do him. He could be the point guard for the Clippers, um, right? You know, in that scheme, yes. I don't know financially if, if that works right. out, but you know, that's a guy that you know because you have, you know, you have 
George, Mark, uh, you know, Morris and, and, mm-hmm. and Le- mm-hmm. Leonard. I mean, it, and now you can play. One of the reasons I think they should go get Tyus Jones. But oh, I mean, I mean no, different listen. conversation for a different day. <laughs> the best backup backup player and backup point guard in the league for sure. Uh, let's, let's head over to the East. Um, it's probably done for Philly. <laughs> I mean, I just even if MB's back in Game Three, which now they're saying, well, maybe like this dude's got a fractured orbital bone. Like, yeah. I just against that defense, I don't know, man. I just don't see it, and they just don't have enough offensive creation. James Harden is clearly a shell of himself. Nowhere near the all NBA MVP guy still valuable, but you need other high value pieces around him to make that value be seen. And they just don't have enough right now. Him and Embiid and pick and roll is great, but no Embiid. What do you got? And it's a lot of pressure on Tyrese Maxey, who's only in his second year, as good as he is only in year two. And Tobias Harris kind of is what he is. Yeah. I mean, in classic NBA form, the most interesting thing about this series are its narrative implications for, for the Philadelphia offseason, mm-hmm. Right. And I think, I think it's that it's like, you know, you've made this bed. Are you going to pay the guy? Um, Harden. Uh, I think we're seeing the, 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 the hazards of giving a guy like Harris, who's a perfectly good basketball player, mm-hmm. the max in a league where now you're paying him the same as, you know, the top 15 guys are getting. Yep. So it does compromise you in your spreadsheet. So like, to me, the interesting thing about this series is not the series, as you said, I mean, I'm, I'm going to call it a fate to complete at this point. <laughs> um, if I'm proven wrong, I'm, I'm thrilled because it would be more interesting. But it, it's sort of how do they construct this roster around yeah. to be going forward? And by the way, I would I would throw in Maxi as as a part of you know a, yes. a guy because what do you need when you have a bunch of overpaid veterans? You need a couple guys on their rookie deals yep. who are just giving production far um, in excess of what they're getting paid. But but yeah, I mean this to me is already about how you're going to constitute the Philadelphia 76ers going forward. And it was clear that, and now you know, Daryl Moore did not want to include Maxi in that deal for, for, in the Ben Simmons, the James Harden trade, because he knew, I mean, as Thorpe said, these, he's a part of that new unicorn, super speedy guys, and Maxi is so fast, and, and who can also spread you out and shoot from three, right? So they're going to have to build around that. And the Harden thing, look, I, how, how can you conceivably think about giving that dude a max contract? Like, it just does, like, the math is not going to work for you. Like, it just... It's all bad. Um, you're going to be in purgatory hell. And I just, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know what they do. It's going to be really interesting. Yeah, that that will be. Um, last series, and, you know, again, I, I know you, you haven't watched a ton of basketball outside of your series. Look, I, Boston is so interesting to me, and they're still the uh, 538 favorite to win the the championship. And according to their projections, I believe they're still the Vegas favorite, according to the sports books. Um you know, we talk about size and defense. And again, when you have dudes like Tatum and Brown on the wings who can score 25, 30 plus and also shut down the team's best players, right? This is the Kawhi Paul, Paul George model, only seven to eight years younger, right? So, and I love what they do uh, defensively. They can just find another gear. And this is the second superstar in a row. They're frustrating. Giannis has had two poor games. Uh, they were lucky that they won one uh, and they got they got beat pretty bad in, in game two. And the Chris Middleton injury, I think, is just a problem for them. Like, you realize how they lack on-ball creation without right? – Middleton is their best. Oh, Giannis, we're building the wall, no problem. Chris, just run either pick and roll or create on your own in the mid-range. Right. And they don't have that now. I mean, he, he's a wonderful escape valve and, and, again, can score in about 14 different ways um, and just one of the most effective, difficult shot makers in the league. Um, I will say this about Milwaukee. Um, Middleton's a – Good defender. He's he's not all league, but he's a good defender. Um, I I don't think they lose a lot 
well, they lose some size with, with mm-hmm. Middleton, but I think Javon Carter does a nice job. And people tend to forget this is a team that won a championship they through did. defense. Through defense. It was one of the most, in terms of sort of uh, effectiveness over the mean playoff team last season, it was one of the greatest defensive performances, I think, since like the 09 Celtics. Or 08 Celtics. 08 Celtics. Um, and they still have that. Uh, losing Middleton hurts a little just because I think there's a fluency with scheme, but this is still a really good defensive basketball team that is capable of winning a series defensively. Now, as you point out, the problem is they're running, they're up against a team that might be even better defensively. But I just think that is the, the thing that actually keeps me optimistic for Milwaukee is that like people and people forget about that. It's not mm-hmm. what Giannis does or does not do offensively. Obviously, that's a huge part of it, but they win games defensively. Mm-hmm. They have, that has been their calling card since even before they crapped out against Toronto in those four straight games. They are one of the most impressive defensive teams we've seen in a postseason run in recent history over the last few years. And that still exists. And they're going to be competitive in every one of these games. Um, well, they weren't competitive the other night, but they're going to be competitive, I think, as a whole in the series because it is a yeah. really good defensive scheme. And Lopez is back. And, it, and by the way, he can stay on the floor against them. Like, like it's, yeah. it, you know, and it, it works. And that was game one for them, right? The the Celtics realized, oh, this isn't the Brooklyn Nets. Like, they actually have size on this team and people who can guard. And it kind of hit them in the mouth. And look, we know about Bud's strategy and they how they give up threes to people they want to give up threes to. Look, as good as Tatum and Brown are and smart, you know, being smart and Horford, this was still a 36% shooting three-point team all season long, right? Like, so the idea is, you know, with variance, we don't think you're going to beat us from three consistently over seven games. Like, we just don't believe it. And... You know, look, they could be proven wrong because you can get hot for three games and then, well, there goes your there goes your theory. But I think Bud's gonna, you know, Bud's gonna stick to what he knows. Yeah, and 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 look, there will be their team. I think much is too much has been made about their unwillingness to adjust. And I think it was funny, even as they were adjusting last postseason, every people just sort of kept it as a constant narrative. Like, what are you talking about? But, um, but I I do think we we should be prepared for more just defensive, kind of you know, gritty defensive matches. This is going to be a completely different series than I think all of the others. Excuse me. This is going to be a completely different series versus all of the others. Yeah, no, I- I'm with you there. Um, If you had to choose right now, what do you think the NBA Finals looks like matchup-wise? Oh, God. I know you hate, I know, I know, I know. You're, y'all are, y'all are very into these predictions. But, 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 like, but, 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 I love those posts because it, it, it kind of <laughs> it, it, I, I like to see what the, the wisdom of the crowds. Yeah, are, what the are, crowd thinks. Yeah. I'm, I'm part of the stupidity of the crowd. Um, <laughs> I mean, I look. I, 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 I I'm gonna I'm gonna give a pat answer and think I think Phoenix is is yeah, is well poised. But yeah. I also I just can't shake the Warriors <laughs> as a possibility. I just think they are great problem solvers. They are, and and I I just I'm I'm gonna be covering that series if it comes to fruition. I'm very excited about that. Um, you know, in the East, I don't know. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm prone to say Miami, but there's some, I, I think there's some imperfections there. I don't like their offense in the half court. I all. don't, I, that's exactly <laughs> what I was going to say. I don't like it. And it, it doesn't, you know, it's funny when they, when they had Dragic, it, it sort of was this beautiful three prong thing, right? It was Jimmy in creation, sort of self-creation. It was the Dragic pick and roll. And then there was like the stuff you run through Bam at the high post. Mm -hmm. And it was like this three-pronged structure that I really loved and it was coherent. Now, part of it is we haven't seen Lowry a lot of. Mm -hmm. And and again, I've seen a little, you know, I've seen some of them this postseason. But 
Um, and I'm curious to see what it looks like when Lowry's back yeah. on the floor. But I'm with you. There's something about it that isn't as coherent as I want it to be. Now, that said, so is Boston. Yeah. So is Milwaukee, right? Yeah. Like, yep. so, so you know, th- I don't know that they're uh, a huge exception here. Yeah, it might just be the team that's honestly the three of them who can play the best defense, like, and you know, offense be what it, be what it is because I think they both have all three of them have flaws offensively. Uh, Kevin, tell the wonderful folks where they can find you and read all your work and do all that jam. Oh, we're, I'm behind the paywall at ESPN+. Plus. <laughs> Though, actually, I will be doing a series of column game columns over the course mm-hmm. of the postseason uh, that are not behind the paywall. I did one on um, kind of the John Morant and the sort of the interesting contrast between young and old in that series um, after game two. Uh, and uh, I do a Top Chef podcast called you Pack do. Your Knives, which I'm about to record in two minutes. <laughs> uh, if you are a Top Chef, if you like to talk about Top Chef the way others like to talk about basketball, that is your jam. And uh, I don't know. That's basically it these days. I'm. We love it. We love it. And thank you for joining us. Really quick, um, John Morant, we know how this his team loves him. I, I don't see the same vibe from another young point guard in a, in a town that you know well, that you're from in Atlanta. I'm not saying no. that the Trey Young thing, the vibes on that team, and the, they don't love him the way Grizzlies love John. I don't know. No, they don't. I, I don't think um, I don't think he's as self-possessed as Jai's, and I think that's that's part of the thing. Um, there's there's just there's an ineffable quality to Jaw that is a combination of confidence. I won't say humility because I don't think it's humility, but it's the understanding of one's place in the larger scheme. Um, he's not self-important, you know. He knows what he does is important, but he's not self-important, and I don't think that's true of Trey. And Trey could grow up, but right. I just think there's all sorts of atmospherics around Trey. Jaw's kind of about the main thing. Yeah. He's yeah. about the main thing. He's mm-hmm. that's that's what he does. Um, so I just yeah, Atlanta is going to have some growing pains. By the way, if, if the next screen that Trey Trey doesn't die on will be the first, <laughs> you know, at least Jaw tries. Yes, yeah, he gives the effort on defense. Yeah. yeah. Well done. Thank you, sir. We'll talk soon. And folks, we will see you next week. Henry and Coach will be back on Monday. I will see you on Friday. Take care. 